0: Drive-by Cinema Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun
1: Well, hello there! This is Drive-by Cinema Season 4, Episode 23 With my co-host, Paul And my co-host, Richard Paul, last week, people might be confused Because last week we covered Rebel Moon Part 1 Hmm and I was wondering whether people might now expect us to be doing Rebel Moon Part 2.
0: Well, judging that we usually review movies sometime after their first release, that would have been a possibility. I'm now speaking in future tense. But no, that's not possible because it hasn't yet been It's released. not out yet, no. That's right. For once, we've been pretty quick on our on our reviews, haven't we?
1: We did the same with Dune, the new Dune. We the did. second one also isn't out.
0: The second one should have been out. It was released to be out. Well, it was, it was slated to be out by now, but it hasn't November, mm. I thought, yeah.
1: Just in case anyone is confused, it was part one of the Rebel Moon film, but it's not
0: part one of a two-part podcast. Oh, yeah, exactly. What does the part one relate to, yeah? Exactly. Not the moon, not the podcast, but the movie, sorry.
1: Last week, as well, we were talking about remaking of old films. Yeah. Particularly Kurosawa films. Yeah. And listener Jolion did point out that, of course, Star Wars... Was a remake in many ways, or a uh, strongly inspired by a Kurosawa movie called The Hidden Fortress. I never knew that. People usually refer to the way that movie was presented. I'm not sure I've seen it. But I'm told that it focuses on the, the story from the point of view of two kind of servants in the palace. Right. In the same way, Star Wars follows these two droids from the very start, doesn't it? We're with R2 and C-3PO. So I think Joel's point stands there for doesn't it? But it is a literary exercise, isn't it? They ask you to write the story from the point of view of a dog, don't they?
0: Take the story
1: and write it from another character's point of view. It's a a very common exercise.
0: Yeah, requirements go down, don't they? I think in my first year of high school my second year of high school, our teacher, who grossly overestimated our our, our literary talent, asked us to write uh, from the perspective of Flatworld. We were a character in Flatworld. Good grief. Which is impossible, isn't it? <laughs> well,
1: what is flat world? Maybe we should explain that.
0: Well, flat world is is, is a world that is simply a two, 2D plane, isn't it? Though well, that plane may exist in 3D space.
1: It's quite interesting, though, the idea of a flat world organism. Because, for instance, a flat world organism cannot have a mouth and an anus. <laughs> <laughs> to eat, you'd have to take things into your body through an aperture and oh. then but then you'd have to eject any waste out through the same hole because if you have a hole
0: you split stick... yourself in two yeah. yeah
1: exactly yeah yeah so in two dimensions there's no such thing as an anus <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which, I know, shocking. shocking I'm heading to 2D so. World. People will never be able to insult me like they normally do again. <laughs> right. No, but I, I was trying to explain to a student a few weeks ago, that, you know, that the stomach is simply a hole through the body and he just would not accept it. Wouldn't yeah, accept
1: it. exactly. We're we, we evolved from a, a simple worm, aren't we? With an elementary canal running from head to toe, as it were. Well, not to toe. That's ridiculous. But to our, to our rear end. <laughs> yeah.
0: Had to part of a centipede that would have been a toy if it was a centipede, but still a worm,
1: yeah.
0: I'm not sure how we got onto this. <laughs> this <is> Kurosawa. Just... <laughs> flat world, flat world.
1: Paul, hey, the other thing is, over Christmas, just before Christmas, we're kind of late to the party about this, there was another Bobby Fingers video released, and I don't know that we talked about it on the podcast yet. We did, yeah, yeah. Did we? Did you watch it? Michael Jackson. It's the one after the Michael Jackson one. This is the one where he makes a coracle or a boat, in the shape and identical appearance to Jeff Bezos's head and face. (laughs) And then puts it to sea and uh, rows away in it. Incredibly realistic, with, like, hairs and eyebrows and stuff. Just looks amazing. I have not seen that, though. Again, I'll drop the link in the show notes. That Bobby Fingers channel, I think it's just astonishing. His talent is beyond... We, We spend money on our Netflix and... Amazon Prime subscriptions, we could spend 10 years on these subscriptions and still not see anything half as good as the stuff Bobby Fingers puts out on
0: YouTube. He's becoming very popular. He's got half a million hits already. But it was a month ago, actually. Perhaps
1: we can talk a bit more about this when we discuss the movie this week after a short burst of automatically generated music. Music <laughs>
0: So, Richard, I was interested, before we name uh-huh. the movie, I was interested to, to listen to the interlude music last week. I, th- I thought it was a, it was a particular favourite of mine. Do you put the same prompt in each week or do you change the prompts? Or
1: No, I've got a small selection of ones that I currently like. Uh. And I choose the one that I think is most appropriate. I think last week I chose one that had a robot voice in it because I see. there was a robot in the film i I like to fancy that Anthony Hopkins was doing me the robot voice in the music as well. With you. I'm glad I've got your approval, since you are the musical director of Drive-By Cinema. <laughs> I
0: tend to outsource a lot of my work these days. Yeah. But you're going gonna to ask me, Paul, Paul, what is today's movie? Yeah, because you right? were struggling to remember it earlier. So, yeah, um, I, I, I remember it was a name of some sort of housing estate kind of title, but it's not. Housing actually. estate. Yeah, it sounds like a housing estate, doesn't it? Because the name of the movie is Saltburn. But I don't think it's a housing estate. I think it's a country estate of the very rich, isn't it? Saltburn from 2023. That's the movie today. It
1: is a stately home, exactly. It's not a real stately home. Oh, I mean, it is. Obviously, they filmed it at a real stately home. Not like Downton Abbey, for example. Is that a real stately home? No, no, I was just being facetious. No, I mean, but Downton Abbey is also filmed... In a real stately home. Yeah, and I think... This film, Saltburn, was filmed at a real stately home, and I think the interiors are the real interiors. Well, it was filmed in maybe
0: eight or nine different places, including the stately home. Oh, right, you know about it then. Yeah, apparently the, the director, she wanted to move people around and so that they didn't know where they were going to be filming or something. She offered some rationale, and I'm not entirely sure I understand her rationale.
1: So the director you're referring to, and writer, is called Emerald Fennell? That's right, yeah. She made a name for herself writing, I think, or co-writing, the TV series called Killing Eve. Did you Did you watch any of it? I did not, know. It made a bit of a splash about sexy and sexual female assassin called Eve. So that's where Emerald Fennell came from, presumably how she gets this gig. She did a really popular TV series. Right. And I also read that I think Emerald, as you might expect from her name perhaps, I think she is from the social set that we are investigating here. In Is she indeed, right? I think so, yeah. Ah, that means a lot. It changes how you view this film in some respects, Ooh. actually. I suppose she's quite critical of the posh set that we're looking at here in, in some respects. It's um, perhaps an exercise of self-examination. She's being a bit self-critical, isn't she? I don't know if you would agree with that. We'll get into that later. All right, so this opens with a voiceover. And it's a voiceover from the main protagonist, who is called Oliver.
0: Yes, Oliver Quick.
1: Oliver Quick. He's doing a flashback about his time when he went to university at Oxford.
0: Mid-2000s. 2006. Okay. I do like the costumes here, because you can tell they're living in the mid-2000s. There's quite a lot of bling, isn't there? It's a beautifully observed period piece. Not only are all the costumes sort of right for the era, oh.
1: all of the music seems right for the era. Also, I don't know if you noticed this. It's also filmed in 4.3 format. It's not widescreen. It's old TV style. With you. Now, the flashback and his reminiscing here, he talks about some chap called Felix, and he's claiming in his voiceover that he wasn't in love with him, although all the girls were, but I did love him. Ah. Or was I in love with him? He's not certain. The voiceover and the actor here is Barry Keogh. It's seen lots of stuff, but I can't quite remember what upcoming, well I think he was
0: in Dunkirk, is that right? That's right he was in Dunkirk. Now I have to say he does look quite a bit older than 18 years old in this movie Like (laughs) he looks, you know, definitely in his mid-twenties doesn't he? But when we're seeing him in voiceover, that is a few years later It is, but actually when he's an 18 year old he doesn't actually quite convince us that he's 18 I don't think. Unless he's a very mature 18, which is possible I suppose.
1: I thought they pulled off the him looking mature later in the movie quite Mm. well He does scrub up a bit, doesn't he? He looks a bit more mature. But, I mean, you're right. He's got a lived-in face, hasn't he, Barry Yeah, Let's face it.
0: So, yeah. Now, there's just one thing. At the beginning, we we find out he's a a scholarship student. That's what he tells everyone, anyway. Yeah, but as if, like, that makes him poor. There's, like, moments in the movie where one of the girls says, I don't want to talk to 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 Oliver because he's a scholarship student. You know, I don't want to talk to the poor boy. I'm not sure that's what scholarship students are in it anymore. They're just like the best students, aren't they?
1: Sure, but again, if this is taken from the point of view of that social set that em- Emerald's writing about, maybe that's exactly how they, they view
0: them. Oh, people that have to work hard. I see. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, potentially.
1: Emerald did study English lit at Greyfriars in Oxford, Oxford. Did she? Right. The lead actress, Rosamund Pike, who we'll see shortly, she studied the same thing at Wadham. Wow. So they have genuine experience here. This is set in what I think is the fictional College of Web in Oxford in 2006. And the first thing we see is Oliver arriving with his wheelie suitcase, which is very 2006, right? Because we didn't have wheelie suitcases not a decade earlier, did we? They were unknown. We lived in a time before people had thought to put wheels on suitcases. I think people used to take
0: trunks to university, didn't they? <laughs> yeah large <laughs> large, very difficult to move boxes.
1: We see him arriving we see him also on perhaps one of the first nights going to formal hall, which is dinner, but you're forced to dress up in an academical gown. yes in I the, full, it's the same in, in, in the full rig of gown and hats and
0: whatnot.
1: Undergraduate students don't have hats, do they? So, or furs, yeah. yeah. So they just have a black Batman cape that you
0: <laughs> and you have to buy when you go to <laughs> Oxford or Cambridge. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, so he he hobbles into hall, doesn't he? And he's last one in, and he doesn't know where to sit,
1: and he has to sit down next to the other loner. And
0: that's the loner who's the overperforming genius math isn't he? Okay, or so... mathematician.
1: I I wonder whether you have the same problem with this film that I do. Which is, we've got this being written by Emerald, an English-lit graduate from Oxford. Yeah. From the posh set, as it were. There's only, in the entire film, we only ever see one STEM student represented, as far as we know. (laughs) None of the other characters seem to be doing any STEM subjects. And he's maniacal. He's neurodivergent. He's coded autistic. The way that Emerald seems to think, you get to do maths at Oxford, is by
0: being very, very good at arithmetic. Arithmetic? Yeah. <laughs> Ask me a question, he says. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Any any maths question, I can answer it.
1: Which is bonkers, because anyone who's done any amount of maths, certainly up to A-level, would realise that the higher up the maths you go, the less arithmetic you do. Absolutely, yeah. I would be astonished if anyone at university level is ever pulling out a calculator even. Maths? How to describe maths? It's about making abstract connections. It's not at all about doing arithmetic.
0: So, but the mathematician makes a really good point. He says, look at that lot over there. They're different from us and you're not going to feel at home here, are you? Ever. So just get used to it. So I think the coded autistic allows him to say things direct that other people don't say. I think that's his purpose in the movie, isn't it? There's another thing here. Oh, right. and well, can I just interrupt? It's just the idea that there's only two of them that are different, which, I mean, just isn't representative <laughs> of a 2006 Oxford college, is it? Yeah, the they're all posh apart from two of them. No, no. I bit, think It's a bit porterhouse blues, isn't it? The whole idea of this.
1: Yeah, because certainly most Oxbridge colleges have got uh, diversity intentions, don't they? They're, they're trying to recruit people. Requirements, even. From a broader walk of life and... But here's something else I was thinking. It may well be the case that STEM subjects are more meritocratic than some of the arts subjects that that posh set are doing in this particular movie. And the reason I say that is, it's not clear to me what job you're going to get after you've done an English Lit degree. If you were from a deprived background, underprivileged, and you were trying to better yourself, is it fair to say... That you would probably be better off doing STEM subjects because you'd be more in likely. the
0: last fifteen years. But I don't know, nineteen ninety, if it's fifteen years back from this, maybe advertising, marketing, those kind of boom industries, you might want to go into the arts to take advantage of that. Or even good old business was, wasn't it wasn't an oversubscribed degree back then, was it?
1: Yeah, I guess so.
0: So I think it depends on the time. But generally now, yes. I mean, these days you're definitely going to STEM if you need to make, make some money back on your degree. Absolutely.
1: He yeah. winds up in his tutorial with his tutor, who's Reese Shearsmith, whose name I can't yes. pronounce. I've never been in an English literature tutorial, so I don't know whether this is what happens. But it seemed to be what they were doing there is he was reading out his essay in the tutorial. Yes. Seems like a waste of time to me, maybe. <sighs> Maybe they just read out portions of it. Perhaps that's what might happen.
0: In industry, we, we we look at three main means of production. We look at job production, we look at batch production, and we look at line production, don't we? Education, we're essentially manufacturing very complex human beings. There's an assumption that job production is still going to be as efficient as line production. But I don't think tutorials are, are in fact, efficient in what they do. So, <laughs> but I often think, yeah, particularly in the arts, I imagine the teachers being as sort of free-rolling as they are, they often don't see the essays until the tutorial, yeah. I'd imagine that's fairly common. <laughs> I see
1: what you're saying, yeah. yeah. Okay, so they have to they have to read them to their tutor because the tutor hasn't bothered to look at it. Hasn't bothered to look at
0: it, yeah. <laughs> or, of course, free-rolling liberal arts students as they are, they haven't handed it in. It's a highly likely scenario.
1: The tutor is making small talk with Oliver because they're waiting for the other student to arrive, but Oliver, we learn, is from Prescott in Liverpool And the tutor seems amazed Because Oliver claims to have read everything on the reading list <laughs> Yeah <laughs>
0: I think the tutor was expecting him to have read nothing on the reading list <laughs> oh, I think what she's trying to get on here is, is the dumb thing It's a bit dig, isn't it, to try too hard kind of thing Later on in the movie, he says, this is my only escape, this is my only option. And the teacher's trying to set those two perspectives about what university is about between the upper class and the rest of us. It
1: also strikes me that they may be also trying to code Oliver as being neurodivergent
0: as well. Yes, yeah. It, yeah, it's a little bit obsessive, maybe. Too sharp at the edges, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. But I think in other countries, that wouldn't be a, a, a cue for neurodivergence. It's just what you do if you're a good student, you
1: know. Sure. Yeah, I mean, working hard is not cool, is it? That's the thing.
0: Not in the UK. Yeah, there's an idea of, well, swans, sort of swans on the surface. I don't know what the idea is. It's kind of like effortless achievement here yeah, in the UK. Yeah.
1: So eventually they're joined by the other student who's called Farley Starks, who is one of the posh set. Posh that, set.
0: One of the Paris set. That Michael was taking the piss out of in the formal hall. Michael, the math- mathematician, yeah. I call them Paris set because I remember at university there were several groups of students who would all jet off to Paris for the weekend. <laughs> at the drop of a hat. <laughs> Just so all say, oh, we'll go to Paris this weekend. You we know, are go stay in the same <laughs> hotel, drink, quaff the same champagne, then come back Monday morning, fly in Monday, 6 o'clock on Monday, get back for lectures at 9.30 on Monday morning and do it every other weekend kind of thing. So, this you know. guy,
1: uh, the tutor knows his mother... Uh, who was in college with, with him, apparently. And the
0: student says, oh, do you know my mother? He says, oh, no, 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 no. I admire her from afar.
1: So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they do this essay readout bit. Farley criticises Oliver's essay. Oliver mm. rebuts him by saying that Farley hasn't even read the poem.
0: Yeah, tit for tat. There's, there's definitely yeah. energy between these two, isn't there? It's got like a frisson between them. Yeah, well, we're going to see more of that later. Because Farley, let's be clear, I mean, Farley's clearly set out not to be the snob in the group, isn't he? Well, he's an American, American, isn't he? He's American. He's American. He doesn't really fit himself. But he's the one who has the wherewithal and the guts to tell... To tell Oliver, you're never going to fit in. And he's not necessarily saying it for snobbish reasons. And he's quite conflicted why he's saying it. He's American, so he feels for people. But he's but part of the family. He's part, of, he's the part of the family. family, so he has to point it out. Look, I'm different from you. You're never going to fit in. Kind of. Yeah.
1: We then get the image that they rub it in, that Oliver is kind of excluded from this set. There's a party going on in his halls where he's not invited. Neither is Mike
0: and he's seeing it, although debauchery happening. That's when Mike hands him a leaflet for the Socialist Workers' Party. No, no, it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see him sort of cycling through... Well, can I just say, these days, I mean, if you... That kind, of, that kind of college, and there was this mix, I don't think there is, of 70% toss, 80% toss, 20% ordinary people, you wouldn't even know they were partying, because these days, the average student would be working that night down at the local Asda, so... For real.
1: Oliver's out one day, and he sees this chap, Felix, who we have alluded to in the flashback earlier, played by Australian actor Jacob Elordi.
0: With a very, very kind of well-done British, you know, crystal-clear accent.
1: Yeah, brilliant. And he's got a kind of floppy hairdo. Oh, he's the epitome, isn't he? He's
0: the epitome.
1: He's got a piercing in his eyebrow. But he's sat there looking despondent because his bike has a flat tyre and he's bemoaning the fact that he's late for his tutorial and already in trouble for being late in previous occasions. Ollie offers to lend his bike to him.
0: With a doff of a cap kind of thing. He's already very referential and servile, yeah. isn't he? Felix doesn't even know his name or that he's in the same college. He even exists. And... Yeah. Oh, you go to the same college as me. Because Ollie points out, don't worry, you can, ha- you can just bring my bike back to college because we're at the same college. He thanks Ollie and he says, it's very kind of you. Well, he thanks him in that kind of, yeah, mate, uh, yeah, really good, yeah, thanks. Uh, you really saved my life, <laughs> So that kind of voice, which he does really, really well.
1: He alludes to the fact that it's going to be a pain to take his flat-tire-busted bike back to college and Ollie just has to kind of accept that he's got to do that
0: now. <laughs> he just kind of grovels and, and sort of slimes on the floor, like Baldrick without, without a personality, yeah.
1: So here's the second thing I've got a problem with in this film at so no point during this exchange is there any negotiation about bike locks, which seems completely incomprehensible to me because if you left a bike in Cambridge at any time, it would have disappeared, surely, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, how many bikes did you lose whilst you were at Cambridge or did you always have an old one
0: nobody wanted? No, I had a new one for the first year and then I sold it to my cousin. So it didn't get stolen? It didn't get stolen, though, And then I, I got a 25-pounder for the second year. The chain set just kind of collapsed and I went straight over the front handlebars as you do in (laughs) the middle of the high street.
1: Well, I had the same thing happen to my bike. The chain just snapped as I was crossing a pedestrian crossing, actually. But I had two or three bikes stolen, I think.
0: Did you? Yeah,
1: yeah. They were all fairly new mountain bikes, but cheap mountain bikes, but looked kind of new. I suppose that's probably why.
0: And how were they stolen? They just cut the lock or? Yeah. I
1: mean, they were always locked, but yeah, just cut the lock. Wow. Okay, scene. Mike is now complaining about a, a tutorial mate in his maths tutorial. So this is the second area where they get this completely wrong. Who? And he says, this is literally what he says, she doesn't even know her times tables. Again, <laughs> I don't think Emerald has ever spoken to anybody who does maths. But in tutorials, they don't go and recite their timetables. <laughs> and he says, she should, if you can't do maths, you do math, she should just go and do art history snort uh, derisively.
0: Well, I think land economy is the one, isn't it? That, uh...
1: Land economy would certainly be what they would be doing in Cambridge. And I never knew what land economy was until relatively recently. Wait, if you have an estate, it's how to manage <laughs> it. how you them. manage it, yeah, that's right. No, because Jeremy Clarkson in Clarkson's Farm, he has guy who's clearly a land economist come in to explain the economic reality of running a farm, which is disastrous, obviously. But clearly that's what a land economist does. It's just an elaborate... These days it would just be an Excel spreadsheet, wouldn't it? But presumably before Excel spreadsheets you needed to have a Cambridge-educated toff to do it for you. Now I saw a review of this movie that said that Emerald was kind of satirising the kind of posh people who thought that that was an insult, that saying go and do art history was... A real insult But there again She's putting it in the words Of this maths guy To whom maybe Doing art history Really was a real insult So I'm not sure I can't have the same take As this I think it was a Guardian reviewer that, that mentioned this But still It's Again It has a very twisted idea Of what maths At Oxford Must be like
0: <laughs> I, I think one thing That she doesn't really Escape from Is That kind of clique At university Everybody else is invisible Yeah And so like her first scene where she's just assuming that the people on the other side are look as lonely as she sees them to be. And I don't necessarily think that's the experience of people from ordinary backgrounds that come to Oxford in Cambridge. Sure, they feel like they don't fit in. It yes. doesn't necessarily mean that they don't therefore have anything to do or that there isn't a party going on for them. Does that make or sense? Or that
1: they're yearning. Or that they're yearning to be part of that. Or that they're that yearning...
0: Show. And the way she's pitching is rather than them just thinking it'd be nice to get on with everybody and everybody talk to each other. She's pitching it as like, oh, we're desperate to join in. I'm not sure that's the kind of outsiderness that they feel. I just think they feel like it's not. It's a little bit of a hostile place, but that's they're right. still going to party the way they're going to party anyway. And so that for me, which I, I don't think, I mean, I think it's necessary for her to do this because ultimately, although she's satirising the upper class, it's this middle class guy that becomes a threat. Hang on,
1: we don't know he's middle class yet, do we? We
0: still think he's... Sorry, this ordinary guy. Let me put this way: this ordinary guy. Ultimately, he's a threat to everything, isn't he? And so she, although she's doing satire, she's performing satire for what reason, I don't know, because the satire just rolls rolls around outside of being dangerous, doesn't it, really?
1: Yeah, the interesting thing is, I think my experience of Cambridge was that it was obvious that if you were from a certain social background, you were going to find... The institutions in Cambridge much easier to navigate, right? Like Cambridge Union is clearly set up for people who had been to boarding school and done debate, or even the school.
0: even the tutorials and supervision. I mean, in, I think yeah. what she did get quite good here was the fawning nature of yeah. these this tutor tutor towards. Is it Farley's name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Follett's not making any good points. Like, essentially, he's criticising the rhetoric of Ollie's work because he used thus too many times. But he's not even criticising the rhetoric, is he? He's criticising the delivery, okay? Which, yeah. But yet the tutor's fawning over this pointless point that he's made without any preparation for the tutorial, you see. So she gets that, I think, right.
1: Just to underline what you're saying, I don't think I ever envied the social... Everybody finds their milieu, you're saying, you find navigating the institutions was easier for somebody of the right milieu. Yeah, but clearly, definitely. clearly they would fit in better in a lot of those institutions. But I wouldn't want to be part of their set because they're not my people. They're never going to be my people. And I, I don't really take to them. One thing I find about people from like the upper echelon is they've got this real, real weird deference to like bearing and they're very aware of their place in the social structure, who's above them and who's below them. And I
0: find that laughable and. Well, they're natural not, conservatives, aren't they? It's what yeah, a small yeah. C. I mean, yeah, that's what it's all about, though, isn't it? I mean, in a sense, they expect deference from
1: their, who they think are below them. But equally, they're incredibly deferential to anyone they, who th- they think is above them. And I always find that kind of laughable, the way they talk about the rules and the laws and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of arcane rules about how you go about things in Oxbridge, isn't, aren't there, I'm sure.
0: I mean, there's a whole set of rules here. One shouldn't try too hard. One shouldn't seem to be trying too hard.
1: Yes, yeah, but
0: one actually yes. shouldn't try too hard in secret either. It's wrong. The, the idea of the noble amateur. There's a lot of that about it. And, and okay, maybe maybe our protagonist could afford to be amateur, but for a lot of people, they can't afford to be amateur. You know what I mean? University is their one chance to get where they need to go. There's no mucking around. You know what I mean? The, the idea of grammar school tryhards was something that I came across, and it was from a well a high school girl, essentially a grammar school girl at the time she was watching the the public school boys play tennis on the lawn outside the sash window <laughs> in the dappled leafy <laughs> grass of may. And she said, Oh, these, these public school boys, they're different from us. And she'd already <laughs> start to affect the accent. They're just so, they just managed to live away from their parents for before they're even 18. And look at them now. So independent. <laughs> so, so thrusting. That kind of thing. I mean, it's easy to be independent with £40,000 of help a year, isn't it? <laughs> yes, and, sure. what she couldn't see is that anybody who comes from either from grammar school even, whether it's a private or state grammar school, or a, 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 an ordinary bog-standing comprehensive, they're obviously much more independent in all their thinking, all their actions, than, than two people in tennis whites, who actually both are now worth half a billion each, so... <laughs> it might be something in it, but, but yeah, I mean, there you go. It really stuck in my mind, as something. Now, know.
1: this discussion he's having with Mike is happening in the pub. During the discussion, Ollie is looking over wistfully at Felix and his social set. And at some point, Felix notices Ollie as the guy who gave him and lent him his bike when he had a flat. And I think Mike's gone to the loo and he calls Ollie over.
0: All right, mate, come over here, kind of Farley recognises him, well, obviously, because he has tutorials with him.
1: Mike comes back from the toilet, is now spurned by, like, his only friend, because, obviously, he's the only... Apparently, he's the only math student in the entire Autistic college. Autistic
0: math right? can only have one friend, yeah.
1: <laughs> After a while, there's a bit of a time jump and a montage. Oliver's been having fun with all of these new friends, these posh guys don't forget it's
0: mid-2000s so are they drinking beer no they're drinking kind of like expensive fish bowls
1: they're doing shots they're doing rounds of shots rounds of shots and eventually becomes oliver's round Now he was gonna try and go because he's had enough and he can't afford around it it would seem one of them i think farley says you can't snake out of it this whole nonsense round thing so oliver goes to the bar he orders a shot he orders shots for the whole table He's negotiating with the barman about when he can pay because he's claiming he doesn't have the money to do it. Felix is observing this and he sort of comes over to help him out and he pretends that Ollie has dropped a note on the floor and hands it to him says, oh, you dropped this, mate, kind of thing. He
0: pays the barman and they, he gets the round in. So that's, that, that's like a classy, upper-class way of helping out a fellow, isn't it? You see, <laughs> <Do> it subtly. <laughs> like, don't make the lower orders feel embarrassed by your help.
1: And then we get another montage of, like, this wealthy party set enjoying their time in Oxford with Oliver being included. To an extent. Farley is apparently Felix's cousin, it is explained during this. His mother, Frederica, married a lunatic in the US, lost all her money,
0: and now Frederica and Farley... Farley lives with with the, the rest of the family back in the UK, is that right, yeah?
1: Yeah, Felix says that Farley's been expelled from every school in England for sucking off teachers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I hear she's presented the two sides of top, aren't we? We've got like, we've got Felix, who's like the Steve holiday successful boy, the boy, the apple of every mother's eye, and then we've got the one that's gets expelled from boarding schools, which is Farley. And the two sides of the same kind of public school coin, I guess.
1: But Felix and Ollie
0: are spending a lot of time together hanging around in each other's rooms, aren't they? And- yeah, Felix is degrading, isn't he, from his study, perhaps? Perhaps he's never had to study hard. And perhaps he doesn't need to pass. And, and there's a moment where, where Ollie tells him to tidy up his room, doesn't he? He says, for God's sake, Ollie, I'm not a child. Okay. He talks about that stuff about.
1: that he learnt at boarding school, Felix does at one point. He says, Latin water polo and child abuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Ollie tells Felix that he's got no siblings and he doesn't see his parents because of mental health and addiction issues.
0: Yes!
1: Apparently, his dad was dealing drugs. Felix is showing incredible kind of concern and interest in... And more, it, well, more like,
0: I, I think it's more like rubbernecking interest, isn't it? It's like, oh, my gosh, the lower orders really are like that.
1: We then get the scene in the library where Mike confronts Ollie about the fact that he's lost his friend, effectively. And he says that Felix will get bored of you, bootlicker. The, the next scene, there's a point where you mentioned it, where there's a girl saying to Felix that no one wants to socialise with Oliver. He's the scholarship boy, and he buys his clothes from Oxfam.
0: There we go. Yeah. Now then, that was the one thing that all classes liked to do in the nineties. You were know, supposed to buy their clothes from thrift shops. I mean, that was how you showed. That, that was how people like, clothed themselves. Yeah. It was. But also, I mean, if you didn't have to do it, but you do it anyway, you get yourself a nice suede kind of seventies jacket. One, because seventies fashions were back in for a variety of reasons, but also it would just show how sort of, how, one, well, how accepting you were, but also how sort of uh, diverse you were in your, in your attitudes sort and of opinions. So.
1: There was a bit of a scene here about it being very hot in 2006. Did you look, did you look that up? No, did you? No. I don't remember. It's plausible there was a heatwave in 2006. But I was thinking about what term they must be in. So they must be in the term before summer. Don't know what that is.
0: What is that? It depends. Oh. Well, summer term. <laughs> is it called summer term? But it's open no. before the summer, right? <laughs> no. I think it's called... Cool. Lent and then there's another one, isn't there? Michaelmas Michaelmas Lent and the other one. I think it's called summer, actually, yeah. But uh, at Oxford, it's over before it's finished. I mean, you have no lectures. We have two weeks of lectures, maybe one week of lectures. then you get four weeks off where nobody does anything, you just revise, and then you've got two weeks of exams, I think. Right. Yeah, that's the incredible thing. Cambridge and Oxford, they take the short British university year, which is normally only 28 weeks of teaching, and they actually compress it down into (laughs) 18 weeks of teaching. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) somewhat incredible. Felix has become dependent in some sort of way emotionally, not just for the fact that he's rubbernecking and maybe uh, slumming it with Oliver for for kudos points. I don't think he is actually so upper class that he wouldn't do that kind of thing. He's very genuine, isn't he? Because, of course, if you're that rich and that posh, I guess there's a power to your relationships where you can afford. You don't not need to, to be, manipulate. Yeah, you don't. And you don't need to be frightened of people going behind your back because they're always going to want to be your friend, aren't they? It's always to their advantage to be your friend. So he he kind of he's very open, isn't he, in in, in his emotions? And he says, "Look, Ollie, you've just got to come up to the old pile. You've got to come up to the house and meet No, parents. no, you missed, you missed a key oh, thing here. Have I?
1: Because Ollie tells Felix in an emotional way that he's had a phone call from his mum and ah. that his father has died. Apparently, to oh, fall over and cracked his head on the pavement and he's dead. That's one of the reasons why he gets back in with the, the set and why I think Felix is so compassionate toward him. We also have the summer ball at the end of term where Farley is needling Ollie about his rental tux and saying the sleeves are too long. Fairly. Are, are your shirt cuffs supposed to show uh, yes. longer yeah. than a jacket? Is that, is that yeah. the way it's supposed to That's be? That's the idea, yeah. But it's all too easy to get your shirt cuffs too long, isn't it? What do you do with a watch if you've got a big watch
0: on and shirt cuffs? Well, you, do, to- I mean, you go to a gentleman's fitter, don't you, Taylor? He sorts it all out for you. Oh, of course you like. do, yes. It's not It's not that you can buy off the peg for all this. I mean, you can't buy an off-the-peg tucks and off-the-peg off shirt sure, unless you happen to have exactly the right length arms and body size. But
1: interestingly, Felix's jacket didn't seem to show his shirt below the cuffs. Maybe he didn't have a shirt on, though. Maybe he had a T-shirt on underneath it. Well, it? I think the
0: point Farley's trying to make is he's not trying to fit in, is he? Ah, Yes. And again, yeah. we come down to assumptions here on the part of the writer. That either I, If she's presenting Felix's observations as one being cruel, but maybe potentially not right to say, but potentially he's hit home. He's hit the bullseye in terms of what Ollie wants. Yeah, and- I think at the end of the ball, Felix takes Ollie to write
1: his dead father's name on a stone and throw mm-hmm. it in the river under a bridge, which is what I think he would do. And he has done an Ollie's family estate.
0: Yes, pen. that's a very poo sticks kind of thing to do, isn't it? It's very upper-class wellies kind of thing to do.
1: And meanwhile, Ollie is telling the story about having to stick his fingers down his mother's throat to make her sick. <laughs> and he doesn't want to go back in the summer to that home. He's terrified to go back. And that's when Felix invites Ollie, come stay with us, come stay with the old family pile in Saltburn. <laughs> now we get a scene of Ollie arriving by taxi to this incredibly grand entrance, a stately home, greeted by a butler and a couple of doormen or something. The butler seems really miffed that he took an earlier train and says, we sent someone to pick you up. And then Felix shows up and shows him around. He gets a tour of the place, doesn't he? he's going to be sharing a bathroom with Felix. Their rooms are on either side of a bathroom, a shared bathroom. And he says, mum has a phobia of beards and stubble. So I've left a razor in the bathroom for you. But don't worry, it's relaxed, I promise.
0: (laughs) James and Elspeth. Uh, the names of the two parents played by rosamund pike as we've said and richard e grant richard e grant yeah okay we also have a sister called venetia or venetia i don't know venetia yeah venetia and elspeth's hanger on very much absolutely bit of absolutely absolutely fabulous vibes going on here pamela who is like the helpless friend of felix's mum
1: he's introduced to the family they're all watching a movie in the library which functions in their Snug, doesn't it, really, I think. It does, their sitting room, really. Mummy and Daddy, James and Elspeth, are discussing where Liverpool is. I don't know. North, <laughs> I think.
0: <laughs> that I didn't find believable. I mean, everybody knows where Liverpool is.
1: <laughs> well, also, where is this stately home supposed to be? It's supposed to be in Northamptonshire. Do you know how many stately homes there are in the UK? No. Apparently, there are about 3,000, although some are now hotels. Some are hotels, some are still occupied, like the one that. What there she is a
0: stately at. home, though? Can anybody have a stately home?
1: I don't. it's a great question. What is the definition? I think if you've got many acres of an estate, then it's a stately home. Yes. So it's not necessarily
0: to do with nobility, is it?
1: I don't think so, because a lot of the big homes in the UK presumably were built by industrialists after a certain period, weren't they? Yes. But I mean, many more before that as well, and presumably colonial riches and imperial. Riches must have also created a lot of statements. Now,
0: Elspeth re- receives him by saying, Oh, thank God. Thank God you've got beautiful eyes. I eyes. was terrified you were an ugly fucker. I can't stand ugly people.
1: He oh, does, God, actually. It's a fair comment because Barry Keown does have some quite interesting eyes, doesn't he? Very striking. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's Pamela, as you say, who's friend of Elspeth's. And Elspeth's commiserating only about his dad. And She's very invasive, inquisitive, isn't she?
0: Yes. And
1: later on, Felix is like apologising for his family.
0: So here, I, I've got some. I, I, Someone's on that perspective that she's. Presumably, this is a satire on the upper class, but it's very much from their perspective, isn't it? Okay. When Ollie is obsessive about his family, he's being dangerous. When they're being equally nosy about him, nothing comes of it. They're just. They're just doing what upper class people can do. It's that kind of thing. It's like everything's from. The perspective of the upper class, isn't it? I see what you're saying, I think. Yeah. This is satire in the name of justifying the status quo, I think. Ah. To a certain extent. I don't think intentionally, but that's how it comes out to me. As well as apologising
1: for his family, Felix says, listen, I've hung up a dinner jacket in your room because we dress for dinner.
0: Yeah, they're very relaxed here when they dress for fucking dinner. <laughs> anyway. Do you have any cufflinks?
1: <laughs> they go for dinner, they're all sat down, dressed in dinner jackets and stuff. Pamela is next to Ollie. She's talking about how she married a Russian oligarch
0: husband. And now She's he's trying, trying to escape to... the relationship because it's all gone a bit tits up, is that right? He's getting
1: thrown out of windows
0: and stuff like that. Isn't...
1: And Elspeth's encouraging Pamela to leave because Pamela mentions you might have somewhere to go and she goes, oh yes, you must go immediately. A yeah, bed sit would be a wonderful place. Now, that night, Ollie goes outside possibly to smoke, I don't know. He finds Venetia, the sister, Felix's sister, outside smoking. He gives her his blanket...
0: How does he discover she, that she's anorexic or bulimic?
1: I don't know. Does she is he watching her at meal times or something?
0: Yes, he's just been observing, is he? But she says some really
1: arch things at this point, doesn't she? She says, "I can see why Felix likes you so much. You're so real."
0: And um, she says, "You know, I, that was supposed I, to be achingly awkward, wasn't it?" I think she really achieved with that one, that bit of satire.
1: And she says, "I think I like you even
0: more than last year's one." <laughs> Yeah, so there's hints here of maybe homosexual flings. Do you not think?
1: Oh, well, of course. I mean, obviously, Saltburn is compared to Head Revisited, isn't it?
0: Well, I think I think a couple could be taken two ways. I remember I remember the last one because I had him. And I'm going to have my way with you, or
1: yeah.
0: or Felix has a taste for both sides, and this is where he brings them discreetly, kind of thing, which yes. is probably more likely, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Next day, Ali's rudely awakened by a maid in his room telling him to get up for breakfast. Oh, sorry,
0: can I just interrupt there? Okay. So, what was the movie we watched where there's uh, a cruise ship where the Toffs all kind of get deserted Ah, on an island? That's Triangle of Sadness. Triangle of Sadness. There's a really awkward moment there, achingly awkward moment, where the lady says, Stop your work. Take off your work clothes, come in the jacuzzi <laughs> yeah. with me. I think I think here, what she's done really well, uh, with that comment, oh, you're just so real, is she's almost got to that level of aching awkwardness of an inappropriate comment. Do you know what I mean? I thought it was really well done.
1: I was just looking up, actually, who plays Venetia.
0: It's really well played, Venetia's role.
1: Yeah, she does a great job. You get job, a but... sense
0: of how out of control and just how groggy this girl's mind is. Whatever she's addled with, whatever kind of drugs you
1: are. Alison Oliver, yeah. Apparently mm. she she mucked her hair up really badly because she they wanted to have her having bleached, damaged hair. Yes. With root showing. So she did that for real rather than wearing a Whoa. wig, which is great. Dedication to the art. commitment
0: yeah. To the uh, method course. To the yeah. role, yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, he goes down for breakfast. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? Because he doesn't know that they serve breakfast
0: themselves from the yes, side. Yes, to the side, but not for eggs. the eggs. <laughs> now, he was embarrassed by that, but I don't think I would have been embarrassed in that situation because it's like, that is highly idiosyncratic, isn't it?
1: But he asks the butler for eggs over easy, and the butler brings him two eggs which are runny, like barely cooked, and he That's kind right. of stabs at it and looks disgusted.
0: Now, I thought that's his fatal flaw here. I mean, I would have been suspicious <laughs> that a council estate boy who has had his education ravaged by drug-addicted parents would know eggs over easy. Surely, yeah. Mm. But aren't
1: runny eggs a tough thing? Is that supposed to be a posh thing to have? Eggs that are not properly cooked? Why did the butler give him runny eggs? I did you understand this bit?
0: I think the butler was saying, we don't do over easy. Quite right. It's very American, isn't it? <laughs> Well, I'm over hard or over medium at the most. <laughs> right. Like for me, over easy is a health threat. <laughs> so sunny side up, it, it was, it was, it was, it was French sunny side up, wasn't it? We got de- delivered. It was deeply, deeply runny. That for me is contamination zone. Kind of move i Isn't thing the away idea from... here
1: that probably the, the chickens are on the estate, so maybe they don't ah, need to worry about yes. about contamination?
0: Okay. So, therefore, it's a question of taste, and therefore you must prefer prefer the raw taste of eggs. Mmm. Yeah,
1: sure. We're going to see summer sunny days in the grounds of Saltburn. The kids are out in the grounds, naked sunbathing, swimming in the puns and the pools, watching horror movies in the night and stuff like that. Ollie is ingratiating himself into the family. Very successfully. They love him. One of the ways that he does it is he reads up about Saltburn and all of its riches and fancy pottery.
0: Flattery will get you everywhere, won't it, I guess?
1: Yeah, that's right. He has (laughs) a discussion with with James, the dad, about some pottery and how amazing it is to see
0: it in real life. Which becomes critical in a later plot point, doesn't it?
1: But then, one night, this is a scene etched in everyone's memory, I now imagine, and it's become what the film is notorious for, actually. Ollie, sharing a bathroom, remember, with his friend Felix, he spies Felix lying in the bath, pleasuring himself. Not to put too fine a point on it. Slowly, I noted, <laughs> taking his time over it. There's a few moments. Long languid strokes. I've been seeing uh, Felix throwing his head back and enjoying uh, himself as he lies languidly in the bath. But then we see Felix has gone.
0: Yeah, He's I mean, it's famous for a reason because it's just really off-putting this scene. <laughs> Do you want to the describe water,
1: it? The water is draining out of the bath still. I'm going to be sick. Are and Ollie scared? has gone into the bathroom. He's hopped into the bath into the still draining bathwater and he he bends down and he licks, he drinks the bathwater directly from the plug hole effectively as it's draining away. Quite, well, He gets quite a down in see. the
0: plug hole, that's the worst bit. Yeah. yeah like, I wouldn't yeah. mind if he had the steam encrusted hot water as it was on the bottom of the bath. He gets right down in that plug and that's just, I was really, it's, it's supposed to be icky and it really is icky. It's just fabulously icky.
1: E-girl and influencer Belle Delphine sold her bathwater to her simps, didn't she? For yeah. a lot of money. Not much different, is there, between the two? You sell your bathwater online to men prepared to buy your bathwater versus jumping in the bath of
0: your, of your unrequited secret love. And but Here's my other problem, okay. <laughs> you know, this is supposed to be a satire on the toss. The toss have done nothing really that weird. It's a visitor who <laughs> is bloody weird, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> And again, there's a reason for the status quo, it seems to be suggesting, is, although I'm taking the mick out of it, is because he's darn well behaved, is Felix, you know what I mean? It's also
1: the ultimate in deference, isn't it? He's, it is, yeah. He wants to drink the fluid of...
0: Now, what's that Beatles song? A sole confession of his wife, which he ate and donated to the National Trust. There's something that psychiatrists or forensic psychiatrists say about people obsessed with body fluid and the preservation of other people's body fluids. Are they but, serial killers? Uh, it's it's it says something about the historical psychopathology of that it's a serial killer. If they people like you know, whatever kind of trophy people take, if they take a bodily fluid and ingest it as a trophy, that's very different to most serial killers, isn't it?
1: Now apart from ingratiating himself with James, he also ingratiates himself with Elspeth the mum.
0: Elspeth is blushingly into, him, isn't she?
1: Well, she has a frank conversation with Olive, Oliver one time outside. She says at one point, I was a lesbian once, but it was all too wet for me. <laughs> that is so lovely and dry.
0: <laughs> so I thought, are oh, we going to get some Lady Chatterley's Lover?" It's hinted at, isn't it? As well as Bright Hedgebridge. There's an element of Oliver almost becoming like the gardener here, isn't it? You know what
1: I mean? Oliver is sowing the seeds that Pamela, her friend, is not really being honest with her. And Elspeth sort of picks up on it straight away and and runs with it. Oh, yes, I I could see that she's not being truthful. Of course I could. And then at night, Ollie comes out again once more to find Venetia in a see-through nightdress. She was sort of standing beneath his window, basically. This is where he tells her that she's not eating enough. As you say, he seems to have identified that she's got an eating disorder. He tells her that tomorrow she's going to eat and stay at the table and finish all
0: her food. It's it's the implication he's going to reward her with sexual favours. Because immediately
1: after that, he kneels down in front of her. Yes, so. And she's reluctant because she's on a period at the time. But he doesn't care. He fingers her, I think, and he licks his fingers and then shares the blood with her. Don't worry, I'm a vampire. Some people have described this as a vampire movie. On the one level, it does seem that Oliver is keen on drinking the fluids of his the target of his affections, isn't he? Mm. But I think also, on the other hand, it's presenting Oliver as a sort of emotional vampire.
0: Oh, very much so. Yeah, he is living off the good graces he's praying of off the rich. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, Admiral, for that perspective. Yes. Anyway, sorry. Shall we move on?
1: Farley is watching this happen out of the window, so now he's got a bit of
0: dirt. He's got on. a bit of
1: dirt, hasn't he? And he's going to
0: he use knows. it in a loud American way.
1: In the morning, Ollie pushes his croissant over to Venetia. Who's already eating a quite large bowl of fruit and yogurt, but she tucks into the croissant straight away. So she's obviously completely in his throat. I mean,
0: Oliver was doing this all before Shades of Grey came out. So I think he's, I mean, he's quite smoulderingly sexy in a certain sort of way, isn't he? This the goal of his control and, and, and sexual, and the sexual sort of conditions tied to him controlling other people. And the explicit way that he likes to dominate people. Like this is quite quite smoulderingly hot, really. Isn't he? if you like into that kind of stuff.
1: We learn that there's a party happening tonight because James has invited his Henrys around. All his friends are apparently called Henry. I think a lot of them think it's going to be a bit boring. But then Elspeth decides that because Ollie's birthday is approaching that they want to have a birthday party for Oliver. They start talking about inviting 200 people. James wants to have a fancy dress party so he can wear his suit of (laughs) armour. It's obvious shortly afterwards that Felix has been told by Farley that he's been messing with his sister, Venetia. Oliver's playing it off like it was all a misunderstanding. And initially, I think Felix is persuaded by this. He then says, thought we had another Eddie situation. Apparently, another friend of his, maybe last year, had a thing for Venetia, it ruined the friendship kind of thing.
0: So Oliver's got to do something now. He's got he's to sort of reclaim his position, his encroach position in the family. So he's, he's, he's got to get back at Farley.
1: Well, that night, Venetia is outside and she's dressed up to the nines outside Ollie's window. But he just looks at her and he doesn't go down. So later at this sort of party with all these Henrys, Venetia is asking her brother Felix if he warned him off her. We then get an excruciating scene where they have karaoke, don't we? One of the Henry guys does the apple bottom Jeans song.
0: Yeah, the idea here is that somehow Oliver's going to be really humiliated by what Farley says. Because Farley says, oh, no, you sing another one. Okay, I'll tell you what, I'll put the song on for you. And it's the pet shop Boys. I don't know what the actual song is rent. called. Rent. It's called Rent. You pay my rent.
1: Yeah. I love you, you pay my rent.
0: Yeah, yeah, as if a bit of passive-aggressive bitchiness is really going to get to somebody. I didn't, didn't really, I don't think I'd be that humiliated if somebody asked me to sing that. With And, know. of course, Farley himself
1: and his mother also living off the, the finances of... Well, Ollie yeah. says, come along
0: and join in, Farley. This is your song, too. In your song
1: too, come and finish. But Farley
0: does join in, yeah. So he does, he's not he? really does doing all these things out of snobbery. I think it's it's made quite clear that he's a different character from the rest.
1: And actually Ollie and Farley have had a bit of a conversation, haven't they? They've had a quite mm. an intimate moment on the couch. You know, they're talking about which kings they would they would f- marry or something else suck off or something. I don't know.
0: So yeah, I mean Ollie and Farley, they're antagonistic, but they're not necessarily natural enemies, are they?
1: They're kind of flirting. And that night, Ollie sneaks into Farley's
0: room. Now, can I stop bed with him because Wikipedia okay. described this three days ago as that Ollie did what? Not assaulted, sexually uh, assaulted him. Kinda. Now it's been edited to Farley gives no enthusiastic consent. I'm not sure if it was sexual assault or not. What do you think, Richard?
1: My interpretation is that there is a sexual chemistry between
0: them. There is. Um, Although he gives no enthusiastic consent, he wasn't at any point frightened, was he? No. And he didn't no. really stop what Ollie was doing to pleasure him. In fact, he, I think he did give signals that he was enjoying it. So I mean,
1: it's true, though, enthusiastic consent wasn't sought or, or, or offered. That's true. Mm. That's not, hardly the worst crime that Ollie is going to perpetrate, is it? No, no. Let's face it.
0: Does sex come into it? He's a big boy, Farley, isn't he? He's certainly bigger than Oliver. Is yeah. it conceivable that he was intimidated? I'm not sure. In, in any case, the next morning, Farley doesn't seem to have a problem with the actions, anyway, does he?
1: And during the act, there's a there's an element of subdom kind of energy where Oliver is getting him to agree to behave, like not fuck around with him, not not try to humiliate him and stuff.
0: Yeah, it's Oliver's thing, isn't it? So yeah,
1: and of course, eventually, you know, Farley does give into it because he's being sexually pleasured, I guess. But that morning, Farley is being chucked out by the family. Apparently, he's tried to nick something. It transpires that he'd sent an email or something to somebody at Sotheby's. To Sotheby's, yeah. (laughs) But James is very close friends with this guy at Sotheby's, and this guy knew exactly what it was, and that Farley shouldn't be selling it. So he gets chucked out. We get some scenes now with the family again. Elspeth is claiming that she hung out with the pop lot, and that someone thought that... (laughs) Common people was about her, but how could it be about her?
0: Because she never that person came
1: from Greece and...
0: <laughs> <laughs> and she had no thirst for knowledge. That was that was a straightforward <laughs> gag, wasn't it? About Elspeth.
1: Apparently, that was ad libbed as well. And they casually reveal that Pamela has died, has killed
0: herself. And nobody seems to care, you know. It's no, like, oh, it no, was on the books indeed. anyway. There's a big surprise coming for Oliver, you know. it's It's a beautiful summer, isn't it? They have a wonderful summer and. Somehow it's got to come to an end. Ollie's birthday is coming, you see. Yeah. Felix gets Ollie up on
1: his birthday for a surprise road trip. They jump in his fucking Land Rover and they drive. Ollie doesn't know, know where initially. I don't know why he didn't figure it out a long time ago. But as soon as he sees a sign to Prescott in Liverpool, he goes, <laughs> oh no, no, we've got to turn back. But Felix is insisting that he have got to go and see his mum. Apparently he'd got a telephone call that Ollie's been ignoring and he'd answered it and he'd spoken to his mum he's driving him up to see his mum in Prescott
0: right <laughs> big shot around the corner Is it her? isn't it it turns out he's in quite a nice middle class kind of street Lots a bit more than middle class I would say upper middle class yeah is it a detached or semi-detached very houses? much detached and rather large at least five or six bedrooms
1: Ollie is begging him not to go but Felix jumps out of the car goes up and knocks and Ollie's mum, nice middle-class lady, and she says, oh, yeah, your dad's just out the back in the garden or something.
0: <laughs> Felix is very polite. He socialises politely with them. Seething. See, and asking pertinent and prominent questions. Pointed questions, them, yeah. yeah. Pointed questions,
1: yeah. Ollie had been apparently telling his parents all about being on the rowing team, being in the Oxford <laughs> Union.
0: <laughs> acting. We've all done that. I don't think that's necessarily to, to, to concoct a massive web of deception. That's just to... Keep your parents off your back, <laughs> isn't it?
1: And then they drive back in an icy kind of silence, awkward silence kind of thing. But Felix is saying, after the party, which is too late to cancel now, Ollie should go home, that's it.
0: And what a party it is, okay? They're all dressed up uh, in that kind of bacchanalian, semi-Venetian kind of that's animal fancy head. Dress party, yeah. Yeah, horse head, stag head, angel wing kind of variety. Isn't it
1: Midsummer Night's Dream theme? Isn't I think that, it is, it yeah. And yeah. Ollie is wearing this white brocaded dra- jacket with antlers on his head.
0: Yeah. Pre- in the previous, early part of the summer, they have been hanging out by the uh, by the stream or something. They've already seen Oliver naked, all of them, and apparently he's very well endowed or something some, <laughs> something to that nature. So. Somebody made a comment. Yeah, it was probably Farley, wasn't it? Yeah. So, probably Farley, yeah. So, so, he's wearing a stag's antlers, maybe for that reason. I don't know.
1: Felix is ignoring him at the party. In fact, he's in a bathroom with a bunch of them doing coke, doing lines of coke. There's a whole party montage. Ollie spots Felix taking a girl into the maze. Into the the maze. No, we
0: know how to get out of a maze, don't we? Just follow your left hand all the way around.
1: Depends on the topology of the maze. If it's completely connected, then yes. But if there are islands in the maze, you Uh won't get into the islands, will you? Effectively, you'll just go around the coast of those islands if you keep your hand on one side. Probably best not to think about it. This maze looks well-behaved, though. He winds up in the center of this hedge maze and Ollie follows him doesn't need to watch him with this girl. Right in the corner. Yeah. In the center of the maze by the way there's a statue of a minotaur. Mm. Apparently based on Barry Keown's body. So they made it for the film
0: that statue. A naked minotaur, yeah. With with antlers. Well, essentially not with antlers, with uh, with horns, is that right? With horns, a minotaur, yeah. Yeah. Ollie interrupts
1: the sexual liaison that Felix is having with this girl to confess his love for Felix. Oh. The, the girl's already walked off in it. Felix says
0: one boat. thing, you turn my blood cold.
1: That's right. Yeah. And then we see Ollie leaving Felix in the, in the maze, in
0: the girl. Felix. And the morning comes. Disturbed, he's swigging off a champagne bottle to soothe himself.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the morning... The news arrives that Felix has been found dead. At this just the like
0: maze. turned my world. I was not expecting this at all.
1: It's a good twist. And it's really heartbreaking. Good twist. Because James, the dad, Richard E. Gwent, he finds Felix in the center with his maze, and he tries to rouse his son, his only son. And he's really, he's not accepting it as he's in denial. He's trying to treat him like he's a little, a little boy. It's very heartbreaking, actually. Mm. There's a, then a very awkward lunch where everybody except, obviously, Felix is sitting around. They're all trying to eat while... The Duncan, the, is,
0: Duncan the butler can't close the curtains, yeah. <laughs>
1: he's trying to deal with the police and the coroner arriving. They're getting lost in the,
0: the maze, yeah. There's lots of funny gags here, lots of real black humour. Now, Oliver does... A, a, he does a bit of his genius moment, though, where he implies that Farley's drug use led to...
1: Well, Farley was back at the party, wasn't he? We didn't mention that. Farley had come back and said, look, you don't get it. I'm family. Even if they thought I was trying to steal, which obviously I wasn't. I'm always going to be here. You're not really part of this. But yeah, you're right. Farley loses it. And that's when Ollie says, you should be quiet. You were doing coke all night. You're probably the reason that Felix is dead. At which point, James loses it with Farley, says your room's going to be searched, but I'm not going to bring the police into it. But that's the last thing I'm going to do for you. And he cuts off his mother and Farley. Tells him to get out of here, kind of thing. So
0: we're down two. Well, we're down three. Pamela's gone. Felix, poor boy, is gone. And now Farley is gone for good and he's not coming back this time. We're down three already. We see a funeral in the rain, don't we? It was very royal family kind of funeral, wasn't it?
1: And they leave Ollie by the grave and the family go back to the Okay, yeah. This is a second (laughs) moment of... It's the second moment everyone will remember because Ollie now apparently distraught i don't know he lies down on top of the freshly tilled sort of earth the wet earth and makes increasingly vigorous love to the soil he strips off he strips off oh, gets yeah. naked and yeah he he has sex with Felix's fresh grave <laughs> <laughs> with the soft yielding
0: earth while sobbing boy's not well is he poor thing
1: Whilst back at home, Elspeth, she's discussing with the family and with Oliver the choice of font for the gravestone.
0: Apparently she went for Times New Rome. A fairly terrible choice, I think, but there we go.
1: She wants Ollie to stay. I think she feels he's a connection to Felix, mm. like his friend.
0: But they've only known each other, what, six months? Eight months, maybe?
1: As Venetia points out, because Venetia winds up in Felix's bath, obviously also Ollie's bath whilst he's there, and there's a very... Heated exchange between Oliver and Venetia, where initially she's saying exactly what you did. You barely knew him. What are you doing here? She can smell his aftershave on him, calls him a freak. And then Ollie moves in and kisses her, and she, kiss- she kisses him back. But she catches herself and stops. We then, I think we get the voiceover of Oliver saying that he'd broken her, and he leaves her in the bathroom. And we cut back a little while later, and she's killed herself in the bath, slit her wrists. So we're down
0: Four. Okay, in the bath. wow.
1: James is obviously completely distraught. He's lost his son and his daughter. He asks Ollie to leave quietly. With money. Ollie says, I can't leave because your wife wants me to stay. But he offers, as he say, he offers him money to leave. He just writes, writes him a cheque. We see all the staff of the household watching Ollie leave. So
0: 16 years on, what happens? It's not 16, is it? It's more like six or seven? 2006, this is set, yeah? Yeah, that's right. And then in 2022 there's a date oh the, yeah He doesn't not yeah 16 years later so now Ollie is what 35 going on 36 potentially that kind of age um, and he, he reads about James's death in, he reads in, his obituary yeah
1: yeah. he by chance sees Elspeth in a cafe he's mature he's got a polo shirt on he's got money he's, to
0: live off hasn't he you know I mean he was given a nice little retainer by by, by, by James the father
1: He's working on his laptop in the cafe, and he commiserates her about James, who's just killed himself, as you say. She says she's bought a small flat. She says she regrets how James treated you and apologises for him. And she says, come and visit me in Saltman. And it's obvious, isn't it, there's a bit of a potential spark of romance between them. We then see that Ollie's reminiscing, his voiceover and the flashbacks, and whilst he's talking to an Elspeth, who's lying, perhaps dying, on a Tubulated,
0: yeah. Tubed up into, you know... Intubated, yeah. Intubated, that's the word.
1: We then see a series of flashbacks of Ollie planning all of this, apparently. Here comes the
0: reveal, yeah. yeah. He's
1: puncturing a bike tyre on Felix's bike. To ensure
0: a meaningful first meeting, yeah.
1: He's pretending that he has no money at the bar, but obviously he did have money. I mean, he was a middle-class kid anyway. When he's having sex with Farley... When he, Farley's fallen asleep, he, he's using Farley's phone to email Sotheby's and get Farley in trouble. Clever. He's deliberately kind of uh, setting himself up to meet Elspeth in the cafe by
0: accident, apparently. And he's putting the razor blades after, uh, after upsetting Elspeth at the bath.
1: No, by... Phoenicia. Upsetting Phoenicia. Phoenicia. Yeah.
0: Sorry. Phoenicia. And
1: apparently spiking Felix's champagne in the maze in the garden, putting stuff in mm. it, presumably cocaine, in the champagne.
0: The only one he didn't kill was James, who died of a broken heart, yeah.
1: I guess so. That's not really explained, is it? We have to assume that. Mm. And as he's doing this, he's crawling up the bed in... This is in the present day now, I suppose. Uh, up Elspeth's thighs. Initially, it looks quite sexual, but then he squats over and he pulls the breathing tube out of her mouth. We see that she's already signed over Saltburn, or put him in her will. So he's going to inherit.
0: And then we get a three-minute dance log to Murder on the Dance Floor by Sophie, Sophie ellis Dexter.
1: Yeah. Well, who's been having a great time off the back of this. I think it's back in the charts, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so
0: Ollie dances through Saltburn, having now won it, having owned it. He makes one important, he makes one important observation. is He explains, he said, you, you guys have no natural predators. It was going to be easy for me. So well, almost none, he says. Himself, he means. The minotaur with the ample... Male cleavage. Okay, so... It's a vampire heist movie or something, is it? Yeah. It's also a cursory warning to anybody who is upper class, like, <laughs> what, uh, like Emerald, to, to watch it. out for those weirdo middle class, aggressive, <laughs> aggressive take give an inch and take a yard classes, yeah.
1: So it would have been a lot safer with Mike, the autistic savant in the yes. math
0: course. Or even, you know, Derek, the IQ80 gardener that they used to employ. <laughs> before, before the world became technocratic and technological and you needed brains, yeah, yeah, her title just won't cut it anymore, will it? What did you think paul? how How do you rate this film?: I kind of agree with some of the critics in that the twists the twists are really nice, but somehow she doesn't quite present them with with the amount of wow and pizzazz that she needs to.
1: It's quite an incredible plot line, isn't it? It's difficult to yeah, imagine. You're not
0: supposed to believe this at any point, I don't think. It is, a, <laughs> it is straight, strictly a black satire, isn't it, in terms of the plot itself.
1: It's sometimes described as all kind of style and no substances film.
0: Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. I think the humour does ring true several times. You just laugh out loud for one or two of the things, particularly the mother said. She's just so absolutely fabulous, but much more convincing, far less cartoon about it. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I feel like I could talk for another hour about the class issues that this film raises.
0: Yeah, she hasn't really got that perspective right in the modern world. It is very much from their perspective. And it, it comes out saying just how maybe usurping of the natural order and superiority of the upper class, the rest of us are, kind of thing, is one of the conclusions it seems to come out saying. So I have a problem with that. But that, to me, isn't going to be a reason to mark down this plot. I enjoyed the plot. It is zany. It's completely unbelievable. But the twists are really enjoyable. Reveal at the end, I didn't really like the way she did it all at once. It was just so matter-of-fact.
1: Yeah, the, the the ending comes at you really fast, doesn't it? Yeah, In a very and, and they weren't seasons. quite
0: big enough twists. So, still, seven and a half the plot for me. Are you doing plot straight away? Seven yeah.
1: and a half? Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm also a little bit concerned about the, the handling of... I mean, this is another sort of gay or bi character... Encoded as evil, scheming. Is that, Am I yeah. wrong to be awkward yeah. and uncomfortable about that?
0: <laughs> He's by, isn't he? And therefore, even more dangerous.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, bi a trusted evil Which less. father's just a harmless
0: yes. gay, do you know what I mean? A harmless, uh. bag, bag shopping gay, flouncing around New York and flirting in and being a bit over emotional at times, but harmless and boxable by the upper class. I don't know. I mean, really, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, th- the point is here, are they projecting their weakness onto him? Their bisexual foibles, which is typically the upper class, makes them vulnerable in some sense to be human. And if they're yeah. human, then they're vulnerable, you see. I'm obviously not in their social class,
1: but I would observe. One thing I did observe, I think, is... I don't think in 2006 sexuality for the young people felt quite as fluid as it does now. I think now... No. This would be completely fine. I think the kind of sexual fluidity that they're expressing seems much more normal now. I don't think that was true in 2006.
0: It might have been for the upper class, I think. Or has been for the upper
1: Maybe. class. Maybe, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's done
0: privately. Re- yeah. Yeah.
1: Even Brides Have Revisited is really about that, isn't it? So, completely. I, I accept that's I uh, mean, a in theme. a
0: different but, in a different generation that was the reason the upper classes expressed. Oh, that was an expression of the upper class degeneracy, wasn't it? For a variety of writers of various political persuasions, it was, it, their, their sort of bohemianism, think about the Marquis of Bath, for example, and, and their bisexuality and their, their sexual openness was seen as a critical marker of their weakness, which we wouldn't say today, of course. However, I mean, their dilettanteism and their, the way they choose to express their sexuality might still be seen as a weakness.
1: It's fair to say everybody in this film comes off. Really, it's pretty awful, don't they? I don't think anyone, no one is really cast in a great
0: light. Well, and the upper class come across as harmless, privileged, stupid, Genu- genuinely dodos that have not, have not yet met a predator, kind <laughs> of to blame for the demise, but ultimately quite nice people in a certain sort of way. <laughs> do you know what I mean?
1: Felix comes across as quite
0: nice. Yes. It, this I mean, entirely anybody can really, afford really... to be nice when they've had a really nice life.
1: Sure. But I mean, this entire movie is sort of a love letter to Felix, isn't it?
0: It is. Everything, so everybody boy.
1: revolves yeah. around him. Everybody is
0: in love with him. Yeah, Oliver, obviously, his sister is in love with him. His floppy, floppish hair. Yeah, all his the girls of love him. Slightly estuarised mate, mate accent. His casual but smart sort of polar fashion. So I guess it's better than polar run what he's wearing. All that. His down to earth, barbarish, barber wearing kind of Land Roverisms. Like alien parties he throws. Oh, dear. I
1: wonder if this says a lot more about Emerald and her motivations writing this than anything else. <laughs> I'll give this, for plot, I'll give this a six.
0: It is a love letter to an upper-class boy that we could all accept. Hmm. And why do we want to accept it? Because ultimately, well, the people that want to do that is because they want to accept the status quo and they want to convince themselves that we're in a society that is meaningful for all of us. Another way you can accept that is if you accept the people at the top, actually give a toss about the rest of us and are decent people. So I think it was written in that sense. He's very much a hero, isn't he? Let's talk about acting, then. Great. I love the acting. It's a real strong point. I think this is why people like this movie. It's just so simply well done. Um, Yes.
1: I mean, all of them are amazing. Obviously, Barry has a very challenging role. I think he said he was more worried about dancing, in front of everybody, than actually getting naked in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he does it
0: brilliantly. He's just Absolutely. slightly twitchy-eyed and odd, isn't he? You know.
1: Uh, we mentioned uh, Alison
0: playing Venetia. Obviously, Richard E. Grant, classic and. For me, Venetia Charles like, early 90s, late 80s. Do you remember Amanda who presented the late... Uh, the, yes, Was it on a late show? What's it called? Amanda the, de Cadena, you're thinking of her. Yeah, she, she channels all that kind of wild child energy. Remember when girls had to be badly behaved in order to be liberated? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, just really well done. I mean, Richard is great as the slightly sort of forgetful and absent-minded father, isn't he, with too many expensive hobbies to consume him, so. For acting, then, I'm going to give it
1: an eight or a nine, maybe. Maybe I'll go for nine, yeah. I'm going for a nine on the act. Oh, right. I'm not sure what other categories we do here.
0: Satire. Does it it function as Ah. a satire? Satire to function has to say something meaningful, doesn't it? I don't think it does say anything meaningful.
1: No, I think we're looking at a six for me, for satire.
0: It is. There are some funny jokes in it, however, and quite a nice few little one-liners. So a 6.5 from me.
1: Let's do an overall score, then, for Saltburn. Which has been causing a bit of a stir. Let's face it. I think what happened was it was released before Christmas. From what I've read, quite a few people thought, "Oh, it'd be something nice, bright head (laughs) revisited style to put on for the family at Christmas," (laughs) and
0: probably the point where the bath (laughs) scene arrived. Oh my gosh! (laughs) They do need to signpost these more clearly on Netflix, don't they? With maybe some not not with the labels, but with like. Whether it's parent-safe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think just a PG would, would, would be good one if they just put a PG on it. Okay, it's a 7 for me overall.
1: Yeah, that's a fair score. I think a 7 is good. I think it's enjoyable despite its flaws. And in a way, it's sort of designed to be a bit shocking. And it kind of achieves that, doesn't it? I
0: think Nicholas Barber for the BBC, his, his review hit home for me. If you see it as a lurid pulp fantasy rather than a penetrating satire, then it's really enjoyable. And then you'll like it, yeah, fair, fair
1: Whose choice was this, Paul? Was this my choice? I think it might have been
0: It was indeed, yeah
1: Alright, so you're going to give me a movie we have to watch I'm going to
0: dictate, a dictat okay. of a movie choice this week Because it's New Year, so let's give ourselves our own choices It's going to be Leave the World Behind Okay,
1: Leave the World Behind
0: Which I'm sure you know about already It's another Netflix
1: release, isn't it? This one was, Saltburn was Amazon Prime Mm -hmm. I think that's right This is a Netflix Straight to Netflix movie So if you enjoy your Apocalyptic
0: survivalist Movie tilts This is definitely one for you
1: Leave the world behind Next week then Until then Thanks for listening And
0: goodbye Ciao for now See you in the next one Bye.